The following is rated not safe for work. It contains strong language, adult situations, and lots and lots of spoilers. Discretion is advised. In the criminal justice system, cinematic-based offenses are considered especially heinous. The dedicated attorneys who investigate these villainous films are members of an elite squad known as the Reels of Justice. These are their stories. Order, please, order. The Reels of Justice is now in session. Judge Maynard Bangs presiding. We all eyes for the Honorable Judge Bangs. Be seated. Welcome to the Reels of Justice. Today we are hearing the case of The People versus The Cable Guy. The Cable Guy is a 1996 black comedy starring Jim Carrey about a lonely and deranged cable company employee who desperately desires friendship and develops an unhealthy obsession with an unwitting customer. For those of you unfamiliar with our court proceedings, we are here to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. As always in this courtroom, films are to be considered excellent until proven awful, and the burden of proof lies upon the prosecution to prove beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that this film is guilty. Mr. Ryan, as portrayed by Eric Roberts, Luis Rodriguez, <laughs> you, you are appearing on behalf of the prosecution. You may begin your opening statement. A talking pony is one of the most repellent things I have watched for this fake movie court. A god-awful piece of shit the likes of which are not palatable for human consumption. God damn you, Graham <laughs> Skipper, for forcing me to watch this hate crime of a film. I know it's my fault that we got to this point, but you just had to twist the knife. Uh, uh, Mr. Rodriguez, we're not doing a talking pony. I told you we had a schedule change. We're doing the cable guy. Oh! Okay, well, I didn't actually plan an argument. Um, I love this movie. I've loved it since I first saw it on opening night at the tender <laughs> age of 13 and on the last day of fifth grade. But it is a lot of nostalgia, and I'm mostly alone in my appreciation. In lieu of planning my own case, I shall wear my mercenary hat once again and highlight four succinct arguments from four respected film critics. Joe Morgenstern, Michael Dwyer, Jane Horowitz, and Roger Ebert, all of whom are more articulate than I. Also, I'm lazy. What are you going to do? Sue me? Ha! Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> I would sue him if he wasn't so handsome in that mercenary hat. Thank you, Mr. Rodriguez. Appearing on behalf of the defense is Mr. Graham Skipper. Please present your opening statement. Um, uh, the prosecution is remarkably handsome in that mercenary hat, I will agree. Mm. Um <laughs> I, I, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear the prosecution say what he did, because I also am a little confused as to why we're even here. Um, this is one of my favorite movies. It is uh, by far my favorite Jim Carrey performance. And I um, uh, it, it's also my favorite Ben Stiller directed film. Um, I'm uh, a big fan of this movie. I think this movie has been way unfairly maligned uh, by not only the multitudes, but also uh, the film critics uh, that the prosecution has referenced. And so I'm looking forward to um, giving the people another reason to go check out this movie that perhaps, like me, uh, they initially disliked uh, when they were a child because it did not meet their expectations. And to that I say, fuck expectations. Thank you, Mr. Skipper. Prosecution, you may proceed with your first exhibit. 
from Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal. The Cable Guy is a hateful, bloodless monster played by a comedian who has taken leave of his comic senses. The character's hatefulness is amply established, thank you very much, when he crashes a basketball game, dominates the play with dirty moves, and smashes the backboard to smithereens in the course of a manic slam dunk. But that's only the beginning of the Cable Guy's intrusions on everyone's life, including ours. We are asked to endure <laughs> Mr. Carey's solipsistic shenanigans in a ghastly karaoke sequence, an idiotic jousting match in a theme restaurant called Medieval Times, and a dumbfoundingly unfunny game of porno password. To judge from the <laughs> evidence on screen, Sony Pictures, after paying Mr. Carey a stupefying fee, had no budget left for making the picture. The cable guy looks pitifully impoverished in its physical production, but there's no evidence at all of anyone having taken the star or his handlers aside to say at some critical juncture, wait a minute, there's no script here or stop. What you're doing isn't funny. Uh, Mr. Rodriguez, if I may ask a question for the bench and maybe you can answer your own question. What was uh, Mr. Carey's fee for this film? $20 million. Oh, Hachi, Hachi. What was the total budget for this film? $46 million. Oh, what did Matthew Broderick get? Come on. I know. I don't know what he got, but I know that he definitely killed someone in Ireland. Oh, Whoa. Jesus. That's true. That's not uh, funny. Oh. Wow. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Skipper, do you have any rebuttal to, uh, you know, was that Joe Mer- Morgenstern's? Yes. Joe Morgenstern. I, I, I mean, he's, he's, he's objectively wrong. Um, yes, uh, Jim Carrey got paid an exorbitant amount for this movie. At the time, I believe the most amount that any single actor uh, had ever been paid for a film. Um, it, uh, that is true. You know, we, oh, so he got... broke the glass ceiling. <laughs> he sure did. He broke the he... glass backboard, sir. Exactly. Ah! <laughs> you know, we, we have Jim Carrey coming off of a, a really incredible run of movies. I mean, he had done Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Bat- Batman Forever, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, yes. and then he turns into the cable guy. Um, and, and I, I think that, you know, with, with reviews, like the prosecution just read, um, what we see are people that are not met with the Jim Carrey that they expected. Everybody talks about, oh, you know, he's so villainous and, oh, we didn't like how cruel he was. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's just, again, a matter of breaking expectations, which I think is what makes this movie so goddamn good. Um, uh, you know, when, when you are brave enough as an actor to come off of a five film run like that, uh, where you are, um, the A-list star of Hollywood and you're willing to not only become the antagonist, but become such a weird, creepy dude, um, in a weird, creepy movie that is also marketed just like your previous films were. Um, I think that's pretty fucking brave. And I really commend Jim Carrey for that. And, and uh, you know, look, I, I reacted the same way as a lot of these critics did when I first saw this movie. Uh, in 1996, I was 13. I was a big Ace Ventura fan, big Batman Forever fan, big Dumb and Dumber fan, um, big The Mask fan. And I went into this expecting those movies. Um, and, of course, I didn't get that. And as a result, I said, well, I don't like this. And it wasn't for a number of years until somebody said, it convinced me to watch it again that I realized just how brilliant this movie is. So I think that all of these arguments 
um, coming from these reviewers uh, are coming from that headspace of this is who Jim Carrey is. This is what we want of him. He is not dancing the way we want him to dance, and therefore we hate him. Uh, Mr. Rodriguez, uh, how's that? Are, are the critics not letting Carrie dance the way he wants to dance? It, it's interesting that Mr. Skipper says this because my next point comes from Michael Dwyer of the Irish Times, which is the Chicago Sun-Times oh. of Ireland. And my, Matthew <laughs> Broderick's not allowed back there, is he? No, no, because he kneecaps somebody and uh, they don't let you back in. Uh, the Elastic Face comic Jim Carrey set a new Hollywood record last year when he became the first actor to get a $20 million paycheck. Whether the huge investment pays off for the film's producers remains to be seen. Certainly, the unexpected and unrelenting darkness of tone which permeates the cable guy may well distance the Carrie fans who guffawed in their millions at his more conventional comedies. Carrie delivers his most outsized and wide-eyed performance to date, more desperately eager to impress than ever before. In The Cable Guy, a vanity vehicle for him in which his character is rather unwisely given complete free reign to dominate the picture. Okay, Mr. Skipper, do you have any rebuttals to those points? I mean, it seems like this guy just generally doesn't like Jim Carrey. I mean, look, Jim Carrey is wide-eyed. Jim Carrey is uh, elastic face. Jim Carrey is a clown. Uh, that, especially at this point in his career, uh, was who he was. And that's what we wanted. Um, and, and, and that's also, frankly, what he's best at. Uh, he, he has a natural gift. Uh, he is one of our great cinematic clowns. And I think that what, what that review reads to me as is someone that is over Jim Carrey, as opposed to somebody that is actually reviewing the film put in front of them. That's fair. As a question from the bench, I mean, it does Carrey dominate the film too much? Is, is Broderick too too subtle or too pulled back? I don't think so. I don't think so because you have to have a foil like Broderick to Carrie's chip. I mean, you have to. Uh, Broderick has to be as level-headed and soft-spoken and mild-mannered as he is in order for uh, Chip to uh, to to be as effective as he is. Um, if, if Broderick were any larger or any more uh, proactive or, or any bigger... Uh, then, then the whole equation wouldn't work. Um, it's a perfectly balanced two-hander. Um, it, it's sort of like a Laurel and Hardy situation, and uh, I, I, I think that Broderick plays it perfectly well. So you don't think that he pushes it too far in the other direction of kind of being inactive in scenes? I don't think so. Interesting. Uh, would you like to go into that more, Mr. Rodriguez? What, what do you mean by inactive in those scenes? In that he has plenty of opportunities to take advantage of the situation several times throughout the film and chooses not to for reasons that seem to extend to we need to get to act two or we need to get to act three. And the only way that he's going to let the character get away with things is not if they find some way to to, ingen- to engineer these situations as non-contrived, but to put him in a situation and then have him make the worst possible decision at each time. Yeah, but I mean, how many films have we seen where that's exactly the case, right? Like, we, we watch these movies because we watch people making horrible decisions uh, time after time and getting themselves into a worse and worse conundrum. Uh, what's funny about this is that, you know, Matthew Broderick is ostensibly like a really good guy. He, he's really just trying to do the right thing. He's just sort of a wet blanket of a human, and he lets people walk all over him. Um, 
and and I think that that's the whole point of this movie. I think it just doesn't work if you don't have that. And I think to say, oh, well, Broderick should have, um, you know, been more proactive in scenes or, uh, you know, taken more, I don't know, for lack of a better word, realistic um, action to stop Chip at what he was doing. Uh, one, I don't, one, I believe every choice that Broderick makes in the movie, so I don't think that that's necessarily true. Uh, but two, I, I think that the movie just doesn't work as well because, yeah, it's a, it's a big, outlandish, dark comedy. Like, we need Broderick to do the things he does so that Chip can do the things he does so that they both can have the arcs that they do. I do not uh, have any further questions with that. Do you have any final uh, points, Mr. Rodriguez, before you I rest your case? I have two more arguments before I rest my are case. Are they your arguments or are they some critics' arguments? <laughs> they are some critics' arguments. <laughs> All right. Jane you Horowitz, South Florida Sun Sentinel, which is the Irish Times of South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but the cable guy contains more sexual innuendo and sexual language than in the Rubberface comics' earlier movies, making it a dubious choice for preteens. Several scenes push the PG-13 envelope. Characters play a word game called Porno Password. A satiric moment in the local lockup hints broadly at sexual antics among men in prison. And protagonist Matthew Broderick is nearly seduced by a prostitute. Some head-banging violence all played for comic effect shows no bruised or bloodied consequences. That said... Carrie's performance as a lonely and disturbed cable TV installer occasionally verges on brilliance. But it's not acting, it's just inspired mugging. He doesn't give his character's desperate antics a glimmer of emotional truth. That makes for a chilly film. Not Not exactly hilarious, but not exactly scary. Bound to disappoint teens who yearn for something beyond Carrie's trademark slapstick and mimicry. First of all, he Matthew Broderick was not almost seduced by a prostitute. Yes. He okay. was seduced by a prostitute. Very Thank sustained. Very um, and secondly, um, I believe they like to be called sex workers. Thank you, sir. Sure, great. Um, uh, and, 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 and secondly, his his or her, I'm her. It's a her, her. right? Yes. Her. Her point saying that there is no emotional nuance to his performance is one hundred percent incorrect. It's just not true. This is arguably, to date, like up at this point in 1996, this is Jim Carrey's most nuanced performance. He gives uh, lots of layers to why Chip is the way he is. Now, maybe Chip's insane. Maybe Chip is lying. Uh, maybe Chip is, is pulling a Joker sort of situation. But it doesn't matter. There are layers there. There are more layers than in any of his previous films. Um, she is wrong. If only she were I, here I would to like defend the, herself. Uh, I, I would like the record to stand that uh, my opponent is getting quite testy in this room. <laughs> Am I? I don't. My is that a testy points, joke? You're not helping me. I don't. What, give me a here, Ryan. <laughs> my final point comes from Roger Ebert of People Magazine. I don't know. I don't read. Uh, the movie character the cable guy most resembles in his psychological profile is Rupert Pupkin the pathological celebrity hound played by Robert De Niro in Scorsese's The King of Comedy. I believe he's referring to Frank Scorsese. Yet the movie (laughs) isn't trying to make a statement about the cable guy. It is simply trying for laughs in a way that will not produce them. The cable guy has an unhealthy need to be Stephen's friend, and he pursues that goal with behavior designed to scare anyone. He's a stalker. He's obnoxious and peculiar and inappropriate and relentless, and we start disliking him 
And that is where the movie jumps the rails. My guess is it did it accidentally. I don't think the writer, Lou Holtz Jr., wanted to do anything other than write a comedy that would please Jim Carrey fans and justify the star's famous paycheck. But somehow the logic of the story pushed it in another direction. If the cable guy is a pathological pest, then in the second half of the movie, he has to be sicker than in the first. Maybe it would have worked better if the cable guy had become a real friend to Steven, devising love strategies and Machiavellian schemes, excuse me, and Machiavellian schemes to win back Robin and thwart her other suitors. As it is, the movie goes in one direction and the cable guy goes in another. And by the end, we aren't really looking forward to seeing Jim Carrey reappear on the screen. Black comedy is not what you pay someone 20 million to do. I mean, what a statement, right? Black comedy is not something you pay somebody 20 million to do. Uh, that that doesn't make any sense to me. And it, uh, I love it. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, question from the bench, if I'm uh, pulling it from that statement, Mr. Skipper, what do you feel about the pacing of Jim Carrey's character? Is, is there a build up or is he as crazy in scene one as he is in the final? He's absolutely not. No, he, he, there's absolutely a buildup. And, and in fact, I mean, to me, this movie has always sort of uh, traced the uh, trajectory of something more like Cape Fear. You know, Jim Carrey is kind of an adorable doofus at the beginning with perhaps a dark streak. Um, but somebody who, uh, who, who you would inherently trust if you didn't know that this movie was called The Cable Guy and it didn't have a sinister figure of Jim Carrey holding a cable on the cover of the VHS box. Um yeah. But I think that uh, there is an arc. I think that Carrie uh, does a fine job of of beginning this movie as a a relative innocent. And real frankly, I believe that had Broderick just really become the guy's friend in the way that he wanted him to be his friend, nothing bad would have happened. Now, of course, yes, Chip is a stalker. Yes, Chip's insane. Uh, and so, of course... Chip ends up doing horrible things. I do want to mention one thing that Roger Ebert said in his review about Lou Holtz's script is that, um, in fact, Lou Holtz did not intend for this to be the movie. Lou Holtz's script, the original script, uh, was was described as more like a "What about Bob?" type story. Wasn't, annoying... it written, wasn't it written for another actor in mind? Uh, it was. It was written for. Hold on, I have my a certain note. Chippendale SNL. Oh, yes, it was written for Chris Farley. Um, and Lou Holtz Jr. didn't write the version that is that we have now. That we see. No, Judd Apatow did. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and again, I think that it makes the movie better. No, granted, I can't really fairly say that because I haven't seen the other version of the movie. But I think that its edge is what makes this movie special. I think that had this movie simply been Jim Carrey as the annoying best friend, it would have been another... Dumb and Dumber. It would have been. Uh, it, it would have been just another Jim Carrey movie. But it's that edge. It's that dark edge that makes this movie special. And that's where I think the magic of Apatow and Ben Stiller uh, really comes into play. Um, not only in terms of how they they frame the movie, but in hiring Carrey himself. Like again, Carrey was not playing a bad guy. Carrey was was an A list superstar that was playing these extremely. Uh, big cartoonish roles. And yes, I know he played the Riddler, um, but but I, I, I find Chip to be uh, much darker uh, than, than how he was in Batman Forever um, for a number of reasons. Uh, 
yeah, I, I, I think that it's the, I think that it's the darkness that sets this movie apart. And I think that again, you know, a theme throughout all of these reviews that the prosecution has been reading is, oh, it's so dark, it's so dark. Kids aren't going to like this. This isn't going to be your typical carry. Oh, it's too dark. Oh, we don't like black comedy. Blah blah blah. Um, and that to me is a sign of stuffiness and not valid film criticism. Is there I, I an agree of... with the defense. I am the best, and this movie is guilty. I rest my case. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> you really put a lot of effort forth. Uh, another question from the bench for the defense: Is there an edge of horror to this film? One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like it's like uh, it, it's like Cape Fear. It's like the hand that rocks the cradle. You know, it's it's that sort of. Uh, vibe. I mean, some people might want to call those thrillers. I would consider those absolutely horror. Um, even down to the the uh, you know lightning silhouetted final fight atop the satellite dish. That's reminiscent of something like Frankenstein. Uh, I think <laughs> that there is horror bleeding uh, through this entire film. All right, great, uh, Mr. Rodriguez. It sounds like you rested your case. So, uh, Mr. Skipper, uh, you may now present uh, any further argumentation you'd like to uh, in defense of your client. Hey, I'm just glad that it seems that uh, the prosecution and I are generally in agreement, and uh, I'm uh, I, I'm thrilled at this. I have only encountered people, not only, but mostly encountered people in my life that have uh, have shit on this movie, um, largely because they saw it back in 1996 and it wasn't what they expected, and therefore it just submitted in their memory as that bad Jim Carrey movie. So I would encourage you, if you are one of those people, go back and revisit The Cable Guy, because it is not only not... The bad Jim Carrey movie, it is, in my opinion, one of his best. Well, unfortunately, the mercenary hat is still on, so... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Skipper, are you resting your case with that? I arrest my case. All right. Both sides have rested their cases. The attorneys will now present their closing arguments. Uh, Mr. Rodriguez, I don't know if you prepared your own closing arguments or if you're taking these from another critic, but uh, either way, you may begin. Yeah, I'll find something. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Okay, got one. Years from now, when we look back at this time in our lives with clearer eyes and fuller hearts, do you really want to let Graham Skipper win? You gave him a win for Jason Takes Manhattan, an objectively terrible movie with only one good moment. I may not have given my A game in that moment, but you knowingly let a guilty movie go free. You don't want that on your conscience. You already have enough weighing down your soul. And if you don't unburden yourself in this particular case, none of you are going to heaven, nor will you receive a free Baskin Robbins (laughs) gift card. That last part is a bribe. In summation, don't vote guilty because it's the right thing to do. Vote guilty to spurn Mr. Skipper and give me the rye guy. He who says spooky a victory. Case dismissed. I've never seen such uh, flagrant pandering within this courtroom, Mr. Rodriguez. Uh, thank you. Mr. Skipper, you may present your closing argument. I would simply like to uh, list the prestigious awards that this film won. This film won Jim Carrey Best Comic Performance at the 1997 MTV Movie Awards. It won Jim Carrey Best Villain at the 1997 MTV Movie Awards. And the one that really, to me, uh, clinches this victory is that Jim Carrey won Favorite Movie Actor at the 1997 Kids' Choice Awards. Do you really want to disappoint the children of America? (laughs) I don't think so. So, vote not guilty. Oh, well played. (laughs) Thank you both. Uh, If you could uh, sweeten the deal with a Baskin-Robbins gift card, 
That would really help. It Members of the jury. On how you vote. Members of the jury, Mr. Big Ben Hassler, Mr. Lil Dilly, Dylan J. Schlender, and Mr. Normal-Sized Rob Maynard, you have all heard (laughs) the facts concerning this case. It is now up to you to determine if this film is guilty of being a bad movie. The bailiff will escort you to the deliberation room to render your verdict. Will y'all tell me when I can get one of them mercenary hats? All right, everyone. Uh, interesting case. We, of course, this is the much-anticipated rematch between uh, Graham and Ryan. little trivia. Graham was the first guest to ever win a case on our show with Jason Takes Manhattan. So let's get started counterclockwise here. Big Ben, <laughs> how are you feeling about this? Uh, well, let me just take a look at this Baskin-Robbins gift card. 24 <laughs> cents. He couldn't even make it an even oh, quarter. Screw that. We got a topping on that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Personally, I disliked this movie. Uh, I had not seen it until a couple nights ago. And I don't know if it was... I, I knew it was the bad Jim Carrey movie. That's basically all I had going into it. So my my bar was set low. I wasn't really expecting, you know... Like people were back in the 90s for it to be The Mask or something like that. Uh, But it it just didn't do it for me. It started out okay, but then it just got darker and weirder as it got on. Uh, And like when they're having this fight on this satellite dish and all of a sudden the satellite dish is like rotated so it could catch the water and then rotated back and it's not catching any water, then rotated again for him to like fall onto that antenna. Uh, I was I was out by that point or I was out by the time the nightmare happened. Uh, well, so I, I'd like to ask you hadn't seen this before, so I guess you didn't know going to expect. But when you into it, did you expect a, a comedy? Did you expect Dumb and Dumber and The Mask? I expected a dark comedy. Yeah, um, I expected a weird comedy where Jim Carrey is overacting, but not quite on the mark as to what people were, you know, wanted at the time. Okay, I, I think I mean, I think what you experienced is what people in 96 experienced. And so I got to say that, you know, I watched this as a kid and I don't I was a kid, so I don't know what expectations I went into initially. But obviously, when I went in this time, I knew what to expect. And with my expectations set for Carrie basically being a really over the top, goofy stalker who has a very dangerous and malicious side underneath him i mean he this he's a scary person i like where it was going i like the story beats i I, the problem i think is there's tone there's tone mixes right like yeah he's very scary and he has some really like he's just waiting out in the rain for matthew broderick for who knows how many hours (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's that's really funny because that's like that's unhealthy obsession that's scary but it's kind of funny. But then you've got the stupid porno password. That's a bad scene where it's yeah. Like, how come he's like? Is... How, how come his parents are like in love with this guy? And this guy apparently has no friends. But apparently won over this whole room except for Matthew Boderick. That makes uh, no. That's sense. that's a fair point. I think though that's more of a nod to kind of like the what about Bob style of comedy where like everyone like the the main guy sees how messed up Jim Carrey is or like, or as Richard Dreyfus saw how messed up Bill Murray was. And just like, he's going crazy because he's the only one knows or like Frank Grimes in the Simpsons. Right. Um, it's like, like Homer's an idiot, you know, like the cable guy's crazy, but no one sees it. And that's part this of This is a gag. contest for children. Yeah. And Homer beats <laughs> their brains out. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, Exactly though. That's, that's, I think, so I think that's part, part of the gag. It doesn't jive with everything else that happened 
in the movie. I'll, I'll yeah. grant you that. But I, I think what Graham's, uh, the main thrust of Graham's argument is is right. And what Maynard touched on as well is when, because uh, that's, I saw this movie when it came out because Jim Carrey was huge. He was like the next Robin Williams, you know, he was right in that mold. And then mm-hmm. this comes out and you're like, whoa, this was not what I expected. This was, you know, pretty adult, you know, pretty young when the movie came out. And it's like, yeah, it's not quite, definitely not Ace Ventura. It's definitely not Dumb and Dumber. Is this Jim Carrey's? Of, is this Jim Carrey's one-hour photo? Yeah, that. Well, maybe I don't know <laughs> if it's that severe. Uh, well, the movie lasts like, for two hours, so no. Uh, get out of here! Get out of here! Right. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> he has things to say. <laughs> yes, suddenly, yeah. um, you know, that's one thing I would like to to point on is that the that the prosecution didn't seem to have any arguments of his own. I know. I, I feel like I can't vote guilty for that reason. It's like they're both on the side. So as far as the arguments presented to me, it's it's not guilty. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't think that the critics seemed to know what they were talking about. Like like they said, oh, they wrote the script for Carrie. And I mean, you know, Schlenzo here had his IMDB out. So he was able to tell me before this viewership that, hey, you know, this film was written for Chris Farley. So I watched this whole movie through the lens of what would this be like if Farley was in it? And it would be... I didn't know that, but I would love to see that film. Some stuff well, lands a lot better, I think, but then I, I some think, stuff's much more Carrie, so it's... it's well, some of it's bag, clearly right? rewritten for Carrie, like Chris Farley's not doing that karaoke scene, uh, you know, that's that's, well, that's he Carrie. Could. He's not doing the nightmare stuff, though, at the end. He's certainly not doing the nightmare stuff, and I don't think he's doing the... He might do karaoke... Of a different song, but I don't think he would have. Yeah, it. no, it would be different, but it would be. Yeah, it probably doesn't get as dark either. I mean, at the end of the movie, Jim Carrey's guy is going to jail. He kidnapped Matthew Broderick's girlfriend and tied her up. I mean, like, they were there's no two ways about it. Well, okay, well, he still kidnapped a woman and, you yes, know, and like, true, put her life but in danger. <laughs> she has a name. Um, <laughs> probably. So, um, the, the thing is, is, okay, so I think this film is rather successful as a creepy horror um it's less successful as a comedy um there's 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 stuff that makes me laugh because i'm uncomfortable um which I think isn't... the draw or the like the straight man stuff broderick does is pretty funny where like especially in porno password where he just like here's the word and like i don't <laughs> want to do this you know <laughs> yeah no no some of the broderick's humorous kind of reaction to stuff does work i think what we didn't hear in the case is that one of the reasons broderick puts up with this is broderick's lonely right he just got dumped by his girlfriend he's living on his own for the first time in a long time he's Mm -hmm. very willing to tolerate a lot of chip's annoying features because he's so lonely um and and that's kind of sad for for broderick's character um and and it's why i think again like he's, he's so tolerant of stuff yeah, uh, um, Schlenzo, which way are you leaning here? What do you think? Well, I'm the foreman, but I will, uh, in the interest of keeping things moving along, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with not guilty on this one, and I think it really has a lot to do with uh, giving it that reevaluation and watching this movie. When in '96 you were watching it with the idea of like this is peak Jim Carrey. And now you have Jim Carrey's whole career, like a head behind, you know, here we are in 2021 and you know the directions he went in and you could kind of see, you see it in the context of an entire career now, not like uh, him at like his, uh, at his highest, you know, so I think you can watch it differently. You can appreciate it differently. 
you know, and like I said, when you know what to expect going in now, you know, as an adult, you know, you enjoy it a lot more, I feel. And I, I was surprised. I was thinking like, I would probably not enjoy it as much, but I really had uh, I had a good time watching it again, so I, I couldn't vote. All right. Um, I guess I'll go next, um, and I'll keep it uninteresting for Ben because I'm I'm also going to go not guilty. Um, <laughs> because I, I, I think this film is extremely fascinating and interesting. Yeah, maybe it's Carrie kind of breaking out of his mold at that time. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if the message of the film is the 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 dissociation that can be, you know, put into us from massive television consumption. Uh, if, if this is about what neglectful parenting can do, maybe a combination of the, of both, uh, maybe a little message about what not having any avenues to turn for mental health therapy and, and, and help. With, you are uh, reading way too much into this. Movie. Always read as <laughs> much made in the modern days where people were woke. <laughs> always read as much as you can into anything uh, whenever you can. Um, the film did make me laugh, but it made me laugh at the same time as making me really uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm also not guilty. Ben, you're fine. Um, I have no power here, do I? <laughs> um, oh, wait, wait, your I, thoughts still matter to us. I would. Like I would have liked the movie to like have a different turn at the end than it did. I think it could have been a pretty decent movie if we got an insight into Carrie's character as to why he's that way. Like, you know, he just can't find a way to speak the same language as those around him. We've all met this kind of guy who just if if you're attending like any kind of event where you're there to meet friends, you get this guy who just gloms onto you and you just you can't figure out what this guy's about and he just will not leave. Uh, but there's more to this guy and to Carrie's guy. And I wish it would have got into that a little bit more than just this sort of non-ending we got where they're fighting on a satellite dish. Mm. Um, that said, uh, just based on the arguments presented to me, uh, everyone said like when they first saw it, they hate it. Uh, but then when you know what it's about, then you're, uh, I guess a, it's a pill that's easier to swallow. So I'll roll with that and say, I hate it, but I'm going to give it a not guilty based on the arguments presented. Very fair. I think we should give it a watch again in like two years. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Three years. Okay, we'll put a pin in that one. Let's go out there and tell that very handsome judge. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, you know. Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict? Your Honor, we haven't. It is a hung jury. (laughs) Not that hung, I've heard. (laughs) I'm just Not that hung. Yeah. Oh, oh, leave Ben alone. All right. So, Your Honor, we find in the case of the people versus the cable guy, the defendant not guilty of being a bad movie. <gasps> I mean, I knew that already. I'm not that surprised. Hang him! Hang him! <laughs> Very well. We the verdict. Barabbas! We want Barabbas! <laughs> Quiet, you. <laughs> the verdict is so rendered. As recompense, I hereby sentence all of us to sit through a talking pony six times in a row. (laughs) Even me? Especially you. Court is adjourned. This is Chris P. Bacon reporting to you live from outside the reels of justice. Mr. Rodriguez, would you care to share your thoughts on the jury's verdict? I hate all of them except for Ben. Thank you. Still... That's okay, because I hate Ben. 
Uh, and here comes Mr. Skipper. Excuse me, could we get a word on how you feel about this today's verdict? Um, I'm obviously thrilled at this outcome. However, I was sort of looking forward to a hung jury, in which case the prosecution and I were going to have to joust medieval tournament style. Um, and That's still an option, Graham. We, we, could, we could have done that. Uh, per, perhaps that'll be for our uh, threequel episode, uh, where we argue uh, over some other movie that I love and you actually hate. Um, but yes, I'm very thrilled, I'm excited, and uh, just goes to show that no movie that uses the Albertus medium font on their poster can be bad. <laughs> uh, we're going to have Agreed. to look into that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's all we have from the courthouse today. Let's go to that studio for a post-trial analysis. <laughs> crispy bacon. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I like crispy bacon. <laughs> That was great. Oh, that was a fun case. Uh, yeah, this movie um, is one that definitely got a bad rap, but I just I didn't think it was bad. It's kind of a it's like wine. Yeah, it's well, Ryan, now you can you can drop the curtain here and and what's everything? You know, tell us something you love about <laughs> this, this is, movie. This is this is a masterpiece. This is I don't know if I would call it Stiller's best a masterpiece. Movie. Yeah, There's a masterpiece. <laughs> da Vinci's Last Supper and then the Cable Guy. <laughs> no, because I don't compare paintings to films, but as a film, in terms of in in, in a, a work of subversion, in terms of weaponizing oh. someone's personality to make a film and then pitching it at the people that really shouldn't be watching it, I think is kind yeah. of brilliant. And I've loved this movie since I saw it. I mean, again, I was, let's see, I was 10, but... I it was one of the few like kind of weird detours that he took in that period that I really responded to then I still respond to it now and I'm glad I get to watch it again. You know what's interesting it didn't really hurt anyone's career. Ben Stiller did fine, Drew uh, Drew Carey. <laughs> Jim Carrey did fine. Judd Drew Apatow Carey did fine too. Well. Yeah, Drew, Drew Carey's Carey all right. All right. <laughs> uh, Owen Wilson Jack Black I mean, did not hurt Carrie's career, let it be known. I'm, I don't <laughs> think Andy Dick ever had a movie again. Uh, I'd have to check on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they just weren't good, but he had plenty of them. They weren't good before either. You know, uh, you know, I, I competed one time against Andy Dick in a uh, uh, in a, a horror trivia contest at the end of the Great Horror Campout in Los Angeles, uh, and it was at the end of a very long night, and we were all uh, extremely tired. And uh, I'm happy to say, I'm proud to say that I won. Hey, all right. Very good. <laughs> what, what was the question that you won on? Do you remember? Um, it was, what is the town that Hitchcock's The Birds takes place in? The oh, town that dreaded sundown. It's Balboa, right? No, it's, no, it's, uh, it's Bay. Bay. It's, oh, yeah, Bodega Bay. Yeah, there's it's a Bodega Bay town. I can't remember it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. cool. Frank Dietz, oh. wherever he is, he would have been able to tell me that. He would have known that. Yeah. It's near yeah. Balboa. Oh, it's close enough. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just because it's a rocky shore. Oh, We're all out of show, folks. No. All right, I quit. <laughs> I told Bob uh, if he was going to make those stupid fucking puns again, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Who will copy and paste reviews from critics from 20 years ago? I had now. to source them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, use the uh, clipping service so Graham uh, what's been keeping you busy lately what have you been doing I'm working on a bunch of stuff I unfortunately can't really talk about it <laughs> working a lot right now all from my office uh, mm. which is very dimly lit with lots of purple neon lighting and I love it um, cool. and uh, yeah staying busy got some big announcements coming up soon and uh, this was a lovely little distraction 
to hop on here and talk about a movie that I, I deeply love uh, with all you guys. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Can we make I know that the tagline the... for our podcast a lovely little distraction? <laughs> 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 Says Graham Skipper. <laughs> Any more uh, screen drafts coming up in the near future? Yes. Uh, yes, I am doing uh, with Rebecca McKendry the Hellraiser draft. Uh, we have part of Panic Fest. Like, God, like next week. It's a live draft uh, that we're doing, uh, which will then be available on the main feed sometime later. Um, and uh, yeah, we're drafting the top seven Hellraiser movies. Of course, there are 10 total, so three will be left off. Uh, and all I'm saying is I have some controversial opinions about those movies. So I'm very uh, all right, Graham, if I know you, your favorite is Hellraiser 3, isn't it? Just admit it. <laughs> no, it's four. It's going to be four. I'm saying nothing. Which ah, I'm, I'm saying that I'd like to see four higher on the list, right? That's where they have the whole house or the whole space station. That's a box, and they show yeah, you the whole history of the box. The well, yeah, four, oh, four, like cube? four is in space. That's the Alan Smithy joint. Um, five is the Scott Derrickson joint, uh, which is also a very good film. So pretty cool. Well, cool. Pretty and uh, Grandma, you've got uh, in the basement going on on Spoon still, right? I do, Spoon. yes. I've got, thank you, yes. Spoon. I've got Down in the Basement. It's on Spoon Network. Spoon. I can't say it any other way. Um, if you go to your, you know, whatever app store you use and look up Spoon, um, it's a really cool app, and, and basically it's sort of a live podcast app. You listen to the podcast, and you're able to um, either call in like you would on a radio station or text in uh, via the chat function and talk to me and tell me when... I'm saying something wrong, or you disagree with my bullshit, or whatever. Wait, I can call in? You can call in, yeah. Oh, how do I do that? I want to call in. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a function. He has you blocked. Um, we, had, we had a, we had, it was very sweet. I, I asked people to call in with, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, what's your favorite horror movie, or something. And this, and, and I got this call from a user, and I answered. And it was this tiny little young child's voice. And he was like, I really like Pennywise and I really like Annabelle. And that was Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so adorable. And it was clearly like some like eight year old kid that was like a, a budding horror nerd, you know, that was listening to the show. So that made me feel really great. And uh, we were very... Um, uh, excited about excited about that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's really fun. It's every Wednesday at eight PM Pacific. Uh, we run for an hour. It's on Spoon, and uh, it's called Down in the Basement. So just search for us and and come join us. It's a, it's a really fun time every week. I, I join whenever I've got uh, uh, you know no work going on Wednesday nights. I try to pop in. Yeah, uh, and what's great is I'm there's sure. there's so many. Uh, horror aficionados and experts within your audience too so there's there's so much facts being thrown around um so if you're into horror <laughs> um, that is um, something... actually it was not that film that uh, he starred in <laughs> they're they're not obnoxious like you ben there there's a lot of likable <laughs> there's a lot of likable people and there's at least one person who joins every week who is not a demon um i can yeah. confirm Definitely He's not you don't know who <laughs> he no, he is a human Ben, he's, he's a, a human. human. Uh, his, name, so, his name is not a demon, and his uh, little picture 
for his profile just says human on it. So I have to assume that means he's not a demon. Sounds legit, right? <laughs> he is a human, of course. All out. humans, all humans uh, do stuff like that. Uh, Graham, we always my ask... screen name right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always ask for recommendations from people for movies that you think people should see. Uh, uh, what is a movie that you think our listeners should check out? Oh, wow. Uh, right. I forgot about this part of it. Um, <laughs> gosh. Um, I was trying to think of my, I was like, what about a Jim Carrey movie? But those are way too famous. Uh, you know what movie I watched the other day that I really, really enjoyed that I think people would like a lot um, is uh, uh, from, I want to say, 2001 or 2002, uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. GMK. Uh, yeah. GMK, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. Really fun. Uh, one of the darker entries in Godzilla canon. And... Um, uh, it's it's sort of it, it kind of resets the idea of Godzilla as a nuclear monster and uh, remakes him as uh, the embodiment of all of the dead souls of victims of the Hiroshima bomb uh, coming yeah. back and they're really pissed. Uh, and all, God, all of World War Two right now. Oh, you should, Ryan. All, all, it's all of World War Two. Um, is is he? He's basically everyone who died in the Pacific War. Um, that is Godzilla right. possessed yes, yes, by. Yes, yes. And, and, uh, and, they make, and they make Godzilla, it's the only time that um, in Godzilla's designs that he has mm-hmm. no pupils, so his eyes yes. are pure white, and it's very scary. Um, and his snout is very long, and his head is very crocodilian. It's probably one of the, it's one of the best suits. But but it's it's great, too, because, like, it's it, it it's a whole, it's basically, it's basically all the old timers that are dead, that are being disrespected by all mm-hmm. the, like, drunk young kids of today. And they sent fucking Godzilla to go and set them straight. I love it. It's great. And uh, and what's weird in that one, of course, is the protectors of Earth who have to battle back Godzilla. Baragon, Mothra, that's normal, and King Ghidorah. So King Ghidorah, that's the only time I think King Ghidorah is a good guy and defends the human yeah. race. That's um, crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty That'll weird. never and, work. Totally out of character. And, and it was directed by the creator of the uh, uh, of the Gamera franchise, which of course was its own very, very popular kaiju franchise at the same time. So this would mm-hmm. have been, a, so this is sort of like James Gunn switching from Marvel to DC, you know? Yeah, um, this, is, this is sort of that level of, of director switcheroo. Uh, and he does something really interesting and different with it. Um, and, and it's from an era of Godzilla films that don't typically get as much love. Um, the, and the where can I find uh, it? Where can you uh, find um, those? Th- those might be on Crackle um, uh, right now, Ryan. Because remember, I uh, we just recommended Final Wars last week. Well, I own um, that one, so luckily I can watch that here. Just buy GMK because it is. I will. It's, it's probably the. Uh, I really like Godzilla two thousand as well, but GMK may be the best of the Millennium series. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there. I I, I recommend it. Uh, a lot. I have it on Blu-ray. That's where I watched it. Um, I'm sure you can rent it on like Amazon. Um, oh, I'll buy if it's on Blu-ray. I'll just, just buy it. Just buy yeah, it. it's on it's on blue. It's on blue, and it's uh it's paired with um uh, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, which is also an interesting film. Uh, but it's um yeah, it's it's great on blue. It looks great, and it's uh it's it's one of the more pure horror Godzilla titles. Nice, excellent, sold, choice. sir, excellent sold. Uh, Ryan, you were lawyering this week, so what is your recommendation? Uh, much like this week's case, A Talking Pony, my recommendation <laughs> this week also concerns animals with a capacity for speech 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. It was a seminal theatrical experience for four-year-old me and that I was Ooh. deeply traumatized by the film and my parents spent the rest <laughs> of my childhood placing arbitrary limits on what I was allowed to see. I'm definitely not still bitter. This film is awesome. It has <laughs> tremendous turtle suits from the brilliant minds of the Jim Henson Company, and it's got mm. visual style to spare all things that seem improbable, considering that it was made with $5 in a box of Band-Aids. It's currently streaming <laughs> on HBO Max. Pretty sweet. So Howard the Duck's head looks stupid, but you love the turtles. The because they look <laughs> like turtles. They have throats. They have the throats. throats. <laughs> Let's go to the um, diagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the real um, question is, do turtles have corkscrew penises? No, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, instead, I'm going to give my recommendation uh, as the judge. Uh, and I'm going to go with another comedy uh, that was mentioned several times in this case about annoying people who just don't seem to be able to take a hint and go away. And that's 1991's What About Bob? Uh, Bill Murray plays an oblivious and irritatingly persistent therapy patient who relentlessly hounds his doctor, played by Richard Dreyfus, even going so far as to follow him on vacation and become intimately involved with his personal life. It completely infringes on what we would consider to be clinical distance, and it's a great comedy about how doctor-patient relationships should not be. Uh, I think if we saw The Cable Guy actually produced starring Chris Farley, it would be a lot like this, with Chip Douglas being more unconsciously vexing and not nearly as menacing uh, as we see it with Carrie. Uh, what About Bob is probably both my second favorite Bill Murray movie and my second favorite Richard Dreyfus movie. And this film really allows Dreyfus to flex his incredible comedic straight man ability against Murray. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu. Now, your favorite <laughs> Richard Dreyfus movie is uh, Krippendorf's Tribe, right? Krippendorf's Tribe, yes. yes exactly. It's Goodbye Girl. Uh, it's <laughs> Always by Steven Spielberg. Uh, it's Dillinger, <laughs> where he's babyface Nelson. What's the what's the one where he has the the deaf son and he conducts the orchestra? Oh, Mr. Holland's Mr. Opus. Holland's Opus. <laughs> yes, he's that's hilarious in that one. That's my favorite. <laughs> Gotta love that Dick Dreyfus. Oh, he's the best. Uh, Dicky Dreyfus. There you go. From Vice, and he plays Dick Cheney in Vice. Oh, it's great. And, and very small plug somewhere out there on the internet, you can find a radio play uh, written by myself called "What About Blob." Uh, which is a parody of the film uh, if Bill Murray were the blob from the movie The Blob. So if you want wow. to look for What About Blob, uh, it, it's out there. And uh, I think it's pretty funny. Nobody else has to. <laughs> if you do say so uh, yourself. <laughs> I mean, no, uh, I wouldn't have wrote it if I didn't think it was funny. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I write things that I don't think is funny all the time. <laughs> we know. Oh, that was we a good know. one, bro. I got to give it to you. That was a Thank good you. Schlenzo, what's your recommendation? Oh, that's me. Well, as you know, in Cable Guy, we got to see uh, Jack Black and Owen Wilson kind of at the start of their career. And fast forward, we've got a movie called The Big Year that came out in 2011 starring Owen Wilson, Jack Black, and my absolute favorite, Steve Martin. The Big Year describes a birdwatching event where they bird watchers from around the world try to get as many birds spotted and documented as they can within a year. This is a real thing that happens that the Audubon Society endorses. And so this follows those three characters during the course of their big year. It's funny. There's lots of cool birds in it. 
And, you know, it's Jack Black, Steve Martin, and Owen Wilson. You're going to have a good time. Cool birds. Yes. I I, I think bird watching is very cool. I bet you do. They go to an Aleutian Island that apparently is mandatory to get a, uh, a full big year. And I don't think you're allowed to go to that island anymore. And the only thing on there is like an old uh, World War II weather outpost. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a man who stands on the coast and asks you to leave politely. Um, yeah, pretty much. It's like, you can't be here. I'm going to get the flashlight if you don't go. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't leave, I'll have to ask you politely a second time. Uh, Big Ben, uh, what is your recommendation? Uh, well, the movie I'd like to recommend would be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because John Candy does that sort of uh, annoying guy who just latches on to you way better than Jim Carrey did it. But since I did that one already, I'm going to go with another movie where Matthew Broderick is just a terrible friend and go obvious. It's uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Every time <laughs> I visit Chicago, uh, this movie occupies my brain. It's super funny. I love Cameron to death. It's made in the 80s, but it still holds up. And it's the only other movie beyond the cable guy where I thought Matthew Broderick was funny. I think he's pretty funny in Godzilla, but I don't think he was supposed to be. I thought he was funny in War Games. That's a lot of fish. I thought he was funny in Dirty Rock. <laughs> oh, God, he's hilarious. He Who saw me eating a burger one time. <laughs> oh, beautiful, such a good beautiful. episode. That is. Uh, speaking of such a good episode, this was a great episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, alas, we are all out of show for this week. But we want to thank our guest, Graham Skipper, for joining us. Thank you for be- coming back, Graham. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I I would love to come back sometime and uh, actually talk about the Talking Pony movie. (laughs) No, no. I'm sorry I ever brought it up. No. One day we're going to do the Talking Pony movie. I don't know when. Why would you do this The lid is off Pandora's box, Ryan. We're going to have to talk Ryan down and tickle him the whole time he watches it. It's all my fault. (laughs) It is. That's true. You opened Um, the box and Graham came. Exactly. (laughs) You called us. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so uh, we hope everyone will join us next time as well as the reels of justice keep turning. Count it. Bye-bye. Please follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, Instagram Reels of Justice, and Facebook.com slash Reels of Justice.